Well, good morning, guys. Welcome back to the Summer of Love as we've been going through the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, but before we jump into that, I have a story to tell you. I was walking through my neighborhood. I tried to get to know my neighbors, and uh, we have some, some new neighbors. He's uh, the, the rowing coach for Duquesne, and we've been connecting. We've had him over. Uh, his name is Matt. His wife's name is Molly, and their son's name is Ben. That's a victory that I know their names. I don't know if you have those neighbors that you've seen for years, and you're like, it's that guy. Good to see you, man. Um, but uh, anyway, so I, I know their names. I was talking to them. I was with the kids, and, and uh, I was talking to the wife. She was outside with the baby. And I was like, wow, the baby looked a little different. I've been out of town. I was like, wow, he's, he's really gotten, gotten big. And she goes, this is a different baby. <laughs> she goes, this is, this is a different baby, and it's a girl. <laughs> and she's smaller. She's younger. So I was off on all things. I really thought this was baby. You know, Ben's not even a baby. He's a toddler. But I was like, oh, the baby looks different. She's like, because it's a different baby. I just I misrecognized what was going on in that moment. And sometimes, maybe you can relate to that with people, you think you, you know somebody and then you get closer, you're like, ooh, I, that's not who I thought they were, or, you know, those things happen. But that happens in life. You think you recognize something, and in reality, it's a little bit different than what you thought. Or in reality, you think you know something, and it might be a little bit different than the truth. And so we can kind of go through this. There's a, a new TV show that's out on, on Disney Plus called Secret Invasion. And uh, I haven't seen it yet, but it's kind of... Uh, almost a whodunit. Who is, who is the alien and who's real? It's kind of a, the, the same premise, if you guys remember, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, old, older movie, right? This idea of who can we trust? Who's the alien and who's, who's real? And uh, that was kind of what was going on with the early church. If you take a look in First John, John is writing that there's the invasion of the Gnostic body snatchers, right? They're coming into the body of Christ and they're claiming to know Jesus, and to serve Jesus and this Jesus, but it's a false image of who Jesus really is. And we've been talking about this with 1 John. And so John writes this letter to remind them, no, you guys don't need some secret gospel. You don't need some secret knowledge. You have the truth. You have the gospel. Cling to that. And how you know you have the truth all throughout the first three chapters we've read, the reminder is you know it because of the love that's among you. And he really highlights love. And it's this beautiful picture of love, which is why we're talking all about love this summer. But in 1 John 4, he really narrows down the argument. And he goes, let's, let's talk brass tacks here. I've mentioned the Antichrist before, but I'm going to bring it to light even more. So let's read together in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but trust the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falseness. So it's this, this is the argument. He goes, don't be led astray 
by the spirit of falsehood. There's people coming in and they're proclaiming a different Jesus and you have the spirit of truth and hold to the spirit of truth because it's better than the other argument that's out there. And he says, but you're going to be tempted by this spirit of falsehood. It's these two ideas of these two competing spirits or worldviews against each other. And it would be easy, by the way, to preach this whole lesson about truth and lies. But I don't want to misrepresent the word spirit here. Because there is something spiritual that's happening in this. And kind of, it's, it's easy to want to modernize and say, well, let's just talk about kind of surface level. But we know in Scripture it says our battle is not merely against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil and demonic powers in this world around us. That's about as deep as I'll go with that, because I don't know, and the Bible doesn't give us a ton of direction on this spirit means this and this demon. That means we don't really need to know, and you can spend a lot of time trying to figure that out instead of repenting of your sins. That's a whole other thing, right? But there is a spiritual battle that's at play here. And we know this also because Satan is described as the, the master of lies or the accuser, and his native tongue is to lie and to tell mistruths. And so there is this force or this spirit out there that is trying to rob you of your relationship with God by feeding you lies. And that's a reality that we could say, okay, the, the media is trying to do that, sure. But also there's a spirit of evil that's trying to get that through to you in your life as well. That's why today's entitled Intrusive Thoughts. There are these thoughts against us, these thoughts in the world coming from Satan, coming from a worldly perspective that are trying to intrude or invade our lives and derail our relationship with God. And so as Christians, we have to say, okay, I want to hold to the spirit of truth. How can I do that so that I'm not misled by the spirit of falsehood? Let's go ahead and pray with that in mind. God, thank you so much for your love for us, for your compassion, that even uh, in our failures, God, you want to, to send us the truth over and over again to remind us that we're loved by you, that we're cherished, that we mean a lot to you, Father God, and that you're involved and that you're powerful and mighty. Allow us to be reminded that truth is more important than how we feel, more important than falsehood, more important than anything uh, that this world says is true. Your truth stands firm. Help us to find that truth, to cling to it, and to never let go. Thank you, God, for showing your truth in the form of Jesus and his love for us. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're, we're caught up in this idea. Do we listen to the spirit of truth? Or do we listen to the spirit of falsehood? We have these two concepts waging war. And in this passage, it highlights a little bit of what the spirit of truth is. And every time you see it in your Bible, it's probably capital S, implying the Holy Spirit of truth, that we have God's spirit, the spirit of Christ in us, proclaiming the truth. It says we can recognize the spirit because the spirit acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So the spirit is preaching that Christ wasn't just an idea or wasn't just, as the Gnostics were teaching, kind of a, a ghostly spirit or image, but he really was in the flesh, which is why John talks about Jesus being hungry and Jesus being tired and Jesus being thirsty, because he really lived among us in a fleshly way. And, and uh, there's that emphasis, right? But that's part of the spirit of truth. The other thing that's emphasized in the spirit of truth is that people who know God listen to the spirit of truth says, okay, if you know God, if you understand who God is, then you are going to understand what the truth is as well. And so there's kind of this, it, it's a little bit roundabout that the spirit of truth is God, but if I know God, I'll be able to recognize it. But we'll, we'll shed some light on that a little bit later. And then the spirit of falseness is proclaiming a different Christ. It's also saying that the world has accepted this way of thinking. Um, he says, 
verse 5. They are of the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. So there's this spirit of falsehood that even all the way back then, and I think for sure in today's day and age, that the world has kind of grabbed onto this spirit of falsehood and has wrapped it up in this, this image of truth. And so we as Christians can be presented with different things that seem true. They taste true. They, they look like they're true. But in reality, they are invasive thoughts and mistruths or falsehoods that we have to watch out for. But he reminds us also in this passage, just breaking it down a little bit before we put it into practice here. Verse, um, verse 4 is beautiful. You, dear children. So he's writing. He's, he's warning them. Watch out. But he's like, but you guys. You're, dear, you're children of God. You don't need to be misled by this stuff. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome these false teachers because the one who is with you and in you is greater than the one in the world. So he's saying, he's saying basically, he's proving Jack Nicholson wrong. You can handle the truth is what he's saying here. You don't have to be misled by the falses. You can handle what is true. Because you've, you've been fed the truth. You know the truth. You don't have to be misled. And we've talked about this a little bit in 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's warning them, but he's also saying, but you guys don't have to be afraid. You know better than this. You know what's right. You don't have to be taught new things. You know Jesus, and that's what you need to know. That, that's all there is. And he simplifies it and reminds them, you can handle the truth. You can have confidence. So I was thinking about this passage. This is a tough passage to preach on because this first line, test the spirits. And people take that line and, and it goes in lots of different directions. How do you test the spirits? And how do I know? And what does that mean? And I, I do want to break that down. But before that, I'm, why? Why is this here? Why in this passage all about love? Right, right before this, it's God, or right after this, God is love. God loves us. This is amazing. And right before this is love one another. Christ has loved you. And then there's this, watch out for the Antichrist and test the spirits. You're like, where is this coming from? And we know the background a little bit, but why is it surrounded by so much love? And, and what I think is a reality that we all have to face or all be aware of is that a false Jesus leads to a false love. If we have the wrong vision of who Jesus is, the wrong image of Christ, the wrong perception of who God is and what God has done, then the way that we love will be incorrect. A false Jesus leads to a false love. So we can say, and our culture says this all the time, we should love people. Aren't Christians just supposed to love? We all agree. We can disagree on everything, but we all agree that there's supposed to be love, right? And we can agree on that unless that sense of love is a false love and not the same love that God is calling us to. Because love can be reduced to a lot of different things that sound lovely and nice but are not really love, Give you a couple examples. Love can be positive vibes. I'm just spreading out love out there. I'm feeling good, hanging out, no conflict, and that's just love, right? As long as I don't have any conflict with anybody, peace, peace, it's all good. That can be a sense of love. I just love people. That's nice until you're dealing with injustice or challenges, right? There's, there's well, how do I love in the, those moments, right? Another false love that can be out there is love can be defined simply as lust. And the line between loving somebody and lusting after somebody gets really blurred, right? And, and love in the sense of, I love this person, or I love this person, and that per you know, whatever, I love this stuff. It's just, I want this, I need this, I deserve this, I'm entitled to this. And the idea of love gets watered down, and the world 
this happens all the time. And it becomes lust. That's not the full picture of love. Sometimes a false sense of love, uh, we can feel entitled to it. I deserve to be treated how I want to be treated. We love the golden rule, but we kind of twist it. The golden rule in, in all religions, but Jesus preaches it boldly. He says, love others or treat others the way you want to be treated. That's, that's a beautiful sentiment. We translate that to others should treat me the way that I want to be treated. And we kind of live that way. And that's how if, if there's love and, and we're all loving, then I should feel exactly how I want to feel all the time. That's not really the product of real, true love. Then, of course, love can be watered down to simply a feeling. This happens in marriage. Well, I just don't feel love for my spouse anymore. I just don't feel love. Well, love isn't merely a feeling, as we'll talk about. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment, an honoring of that commitment, honoring of someone above yourself. It's not simply about how you feel. If it was only about how you feel, imagine the world would have no commitments, no meaningful devotion of a parent to a child love because, hey, I don't feel love for you today, so you're on your own. That would be insane, right? But love isn't just um, a feeling. It's, it involves commitment as well. Another false love can be just simply agreement, that in order to love somebody, I have to agree with everything they agree. Or in order for this person to really actually love me, they have to agree with me. None of those things are a full picture of love. Those are all nice things. And some of those things are really important for us to live out. Not all of them, but some are really important. But in reality, that's not the full picture of love. But when our view of Jesus is just a nice guy who was a hippie who loved people and, and got in trouble with the government and, yeah, down with the government, if that's our image of Jesus, then, of course, our image of love is going to adopt that perspective. Or if our image of Jesus is his version of love was telling people how it is and they better change, and we love that preacher Jesus, then at the same time, we're going to have this view of love. Well, I just, you gotta, love tells the truth. I got I to gotta speak truth. I got to speak truth in love, but I really got to speak truth. And we can have whatever our image of Jesus is affects how it is that we love other people. And uh, we see the image of love that we're meant to hold on to. We talked about it last week in 1 John 3, 16. It'll be on the screen here. 1 John 3, 16 is this powerful image that says, and I can't read it there. I should have put it in my notes. I actually have it in my notes. Uh, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We have this image. Before we're presented with what false love could be, we have an image of what true love is. The spirit of truth love is this. It's self-sacrifice for others. We love because he first loved us. God is love. God sacrificed his son for us. The image of love, real love, isn't a nice feeling, isn't laid back, but is found in a sacrificial act or sacrificial devotion, sacrificial commitment. We know what love is because love is portrayed through God in sacrifice. So if that's the why, why this passage is, is in here, how? How do we actually land on what is truth? And what is false? Okay, we want to love. We all agree with that. I want, to, I want to have a godly love. But how do I know if I'm being motivated or pulled by something that's not true or some false image of who God is or if I'm really holding to the truth? It's nice to have a little uh, decoder, if you will. If you guys, I'm really going with some old school images, but I'm thinking of, you know, a, what is it, a Christmas, a Christmas story, the little orphan Annie decoder ring to find out, okay, what is the code? Maybe if you're a little bit older, you remember in the cereal box on the back would be this 
red and white stuff, and you'd have to, somewhere in the bag was a little red, like, see-through, trans, translucent something, and it would reveal what's there. This side of the room is like, what are you talking about? I'll give you another example. I talked about camp last week. Um, this was a long time ago at camp, but I had a pair of twins in my cabin when I was a counselor. I was a teenager, and I had these twins, and I could not tell them apart. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I was like, I don't know, and I kept calling them the wrong name, and they were frustrated. So I very, I grabbed a Sharpie, permanent marker, and I just kind of leaned over and, and kind of, oh, sorry, and I marked this one guy's arm. His name was Parker. I marked him with a marker. I, that was to help me remember, right? <laughs> and you don't shower enough at camp, so the whole time at camp, he has this mark, and I'd be like, hey. Parker, come over here, you know, whatever it was. But I needed some sort of indicator to see what is real and what is not. Who is Parker and who is not? Please don't, don't if you know who that is, please don't tell him. I, <laughs> um, anyway, I didn't say his twin's name because then you could narrow it down. There's only so many. But anyway, we need that in life, and we have that in this passage. What is the decodering? What is the mark or the marker? How do we know the truth? And we have it right here in the scriptures. In verse 2, it says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. This, it's right here. Here's the colon. Read ahead. Keep going. It says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus, does not acknowledge Jesus, is not from God. And if you read in verse uh, 6 as well, it says, we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. So there's this, basically the, the decoder ring or the secret to all of this, to the understanding, isn't really a secret. It's just Jesus. That you can actually understand what is true and what is false and what's a real love by the passage we already talked about. If we can filter everything through the sacrificial love of Jesus, then we can actually know what is true and what is false. And you might be like, hey, that sounds good, but... That also sounds like a preacher thing to say. It's all about Jesus, and then let's go home. And you're like, well, what was he really saying? So what I want to do here is put it into practice. All right, put this concept of how do we really recognize or find the truth. So we're going to put a pause on this passage for a second and try to put it into practice. Sound good? You guys with me? Good answer, because that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So um, back in the 1980s, there was a man by the name of Woody Allen. We might be familiar. You know, there's, there's some groaning there, right? Woody Allen uh, was dating a woman by the name of Mia Farrow. Again, if you're around a while, you, you know this story. And Mia Farrow had an adopted daughter, had several adopted children. Uh, but one of her adopted daughters named Soon Yi, a little bit later in the relationship, and this is, you're like, please, I don't need to know all this. But a little bit later in the relationship, Woody Allen engaged in a romantic and sexual relationship with... Uh, his girlfriend's daughter, adopted daughter, who was 21 and he was 56. And he was basically this young girl's surrogate stepfather, right? And we, we hear that, we're like, gross, please stop talking about it. It is gross. It, it doesn't make sense. It's sad. And he was interviewed, and his answer, hey, what do you have to say for yourself? Everyone, even the world looks at that and says, that ain't right. Something's wrong there. This is not good. This is, this is not love. What's happening here? And his response is very famous. His response was, the heart wants what the heart wants. The heart wants what it wants. That's just how it is. That's how I feel. That's what I want. Sorry. Sorry about it. The heart wants what it hearts. And we can look at that and say, that's terrible. 
we kind of do the same thing sometimes, right? Maybe not the same thing, right? But we do similar things where there's, there's things in our life that we feel entitled to. The heart wants what it wants. And we justify compromising our relationship with God, compromising uh, our, our relationship with the community because simply the heart wants what it wants. That's what I want. Or sometimes the heart doesn't want what the heart doesn't want. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to give up. I don't want to hold true to this. I don't want to give up my time. I don't want to drive to midweek. I don't want to do this. I don't want to not date this person. Whatever it is, we can just, we can hold on to the wrong stuff because, hey, the heart just wants what it wants. And again, even the world says this isn't okay. Uh, Shakespeare in Hamlet, long ago, there's a character who says, to thine own self be true. You heard that before, maybe in high school literature, to, to thine own self be true. That sounds really nice. You're like, wow, the, even Shakespeare adopted this, let the heart, you know, the heart wants what it wants. But the person who said that in Hamlet is Polonius, who is the fool in the story. So even way back in the, the 1500s, you have this image of even the world is like, no, to thine own self be true. That's the way a fool thinks. And again, that's the way we kind of, hey, whatever I want, that's what I should get. The heart wants what it wants. Um, adding to this just a little bit, uh, where can I find this? Oh, this is interesting. Charles Taylor, who's a philosopher, kind of uh, adapting uh, or, or commenting on our, our society today. He talks about how authority, in the last maybe 20 years, authority, which was highly regarded to adhere to authority, has been replaced by authenticity. That what's more important than submitting to authority is that I am true to myself, that I am authentic in all that I do. Not a bad sentiment, by the way. It's good for us to be authentic. But to uh, come out from under the authority of God in, in the guise of being authentic is disrespectful. We can talk about what we're going through, and we can be authentic with our struggles, and we should do that. And probably for a lot of us, that has not been the norm, and we got to be authentic. But authenticity isn't the goal. Surrendering and submitting to God and working through it authentically is the goal, right? And submitting to God's authority. But our society has become to value authenticity. And the greatest sin is to not be true to yourself. But God's word says, don't worry about being true to yourself. Be true to truth. Be true to what is true. Hold true to the truth. And be authentic in that pursuit. So let's break this down a little bit. The heart wants what it wants. That's, that's the statement. Now, how do we see if this is a spirit of truth or a spirit of falsehood? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. We look at Jesus. We see at times Jesus wanting to love others and to serve others and, and him following through. Okay, the heart wants what it wants. But we also see Jesus in the garden very profoundly wanting God to have another way to save humanity, not wanting to go to the cross. If Jesus in that moment said, well, God, the heart wants what it wants, I'm out of here. These disciples can fend for themselves. They're already asleep. They won't even know I was gone. <laughs> if Jesus had the heart what wants what it wants mentality, we would have no hope for salvation. We would be stuck in our sins. A lot of us probably wouldn't be alive because we know that the grace of God has brought us to this point. Amen. But Jesus didn't live by this reality. Instead, Jesus chose self-sacrifice. Instead of the heart what it want, wants what it wants, he chose to sacrifice himself. And so simply by bringing Jesus into the picture, this statement that is this a spirit of truth or falsehood, I just want what I want, gets filtered out through, no, I want to imitate Jesus and sacrifice myself. That sounds really good until you play it out a little bit more because then another truth comes in. 
and we have to decide is this a, or another spirit comes in, spirit of truth or falsehood. So the other one comes, okay, I want this, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sacrifice. But then, but what if I don't get my needs met? That happens true, right? Okay, I, I want to do this, but I'll sacrifice. But what if things don't work out for me? It's great early on in our Christianity. If you put God first, he'll bless your life. And he does bless our life, but often not the way we would like to ordain him to do so, right? And so that secondary question can come in. Well, what about my needs? We look at Jesus again. In 1 Peter 2, we're reminded that Christ entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That Christ said, you know what, I'm going to give up myself and entrust myself to God instead. And not defend myself, not step in, not try to, try to make everything work out in my favor. But I will entrust myself. And so we say, okay, how do I advocate for my own needs? Let me trust God with this, this thing in my life. Let me, let me trust God to come through and trust that the way he will come through is exactly what I truly need. Well, then something else can come up. Right, if we play this out, you know, number one, the heart wants what it wants. But what if I don't get my needs met? The third thing can come in, and it can be resentment towards the people or even God that led us in the direction of self-sacrifice in the first place. Does that make sense? Okay, we, we, we sacrifice. We trust God will see this. God will, the Bible says, reward me. But God will, at the very least, meet my needs, will prove this to be worthwhile, that my sacrifice will not be in vain. We trust that. But then as we wait for that to happen or wait for it to be proven true, we say, man, I really wish this brother didn't pressure me or push me in this direction. I really wish uh, God's word didn't say this. And we can start getting resentful of the prophets in our life. And amen, we, we shouldn't be pressuring each other. And that's, that's really not the case uh, recently in the last 10 or 15 years as a fellowship that we're not, we're not pressuring each other. We are calling each other to righteousness. But sometimes... We, we don't take ownership of the decision that we made. Yeah. And we see, by the way, if we filter it through Jesus, what did Jesus say in, verse, in John 7? He says, I, uh, not in John 7, but later he says, I choose to give up my life. No one's making me do this. I'm giving up my life. So when we choose to put God first, at times we can feel the, the community pressure and the cultural pressure and all these things. And amen, we should feel pressure from the Holy Spirit and all that makes sense. But at the end of the day, we choose to either please the flesh or please the spirit. We choose to sacrifice for God, and we've got to take ownership of that. But attached to that, I hope this is making sense. It made sense in my head. If, if just a, an ounce of it makes sense, I'm, I'm fired up. But uh, we choose to do God's will. In John 7, we're told if we want to have greater faith in Jesus, we simply need to choose to do God's will. And so by recognizing, no, this was my choice, that even if things don't work out the way it needs to and I'm struggling with all this, I can have greater faith and trust that Jesus is who he said he is. That by choosing to do the will of God, God promises that I will come out of that with greater faith. And so that's a reality that we can have when we, we can wrestle with resenting uh, the voice of the prophet or even the voice of God's word. So then lastly, right, the heart wants what it wants. Then what about my needs? I resent the, the voice that had called me to this direction. But then at the very end, we can say, well, if I really follow God in this, and I trust that he's going to meet my needs, and I say this is my own choice and not what others have, have forced me to do, but I'm choosing to sacrifice myself, well, what if, what if I never find love? What if I'm never truly happy? That's kind of that last little peg there. Well, okay, I trust God, but what if it never works out quite the way that I feel like it should? What if I never 
find love. That's a, a, a real thing, right? If the heart's, this is what I want, what if I'm never satisfied? You know, if we look at Jesus, once again, hanging on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would be quite easy to think this, this did not pan out as he's dying and suffering, as his enemies think this was the greatest victory in their lives. And he actually dies. I wonder if some of the disciples were ready for him to come down, but the, the final curtain drops and he dies. But the miracle happens after death for Jesus, that he's raised back to life. So if we look at Jesus, even if in this life, and this is hard to preach, because I'd like to say it's all going to happen in this life, it's going to be great, all, but in reality, even if we suffer, and this is what the early church grabbed onto so firmly that they were able to be martyred because it wasn't about this life. It was about heaven and about life with God forever. And so God's word reminds us when we look at Jesus that even if we never find exactly what we want, we trust God that we can suffer with him Total side note, but this is what the Ethiopian eunuch loved about when he read about Jesus in Acts chapter 8, which is a whole other story. But, but he had no descendants. It looked like Jesus' life was cut off before he could get any blessings from God. But that helped uh, the Ethiopian relate to him and say, wow, I can suffer with him and experience the blessing of being with Christ. And eventually the blessing of being in God, uh, with God in heaven. All that to say could really be wrapped up in John 10.10. 10. That the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Christ has come so we can have life and have it to the full. And really trusting that though there's all these arguments and things, well, will I get my needs met, all this stuff? No. God is offering us life to the full. And to long for the greater desires. I, I think I, I shared this recently. I joined a football team. And we are now 0-6. We lost on Friday. I know some of you guys were, were asking me about it. Um, it's been rough out there. But... Uh, when I show up to play the game, I want to start throwing the ball around and getting loose as, as quickly as possible and just start playing. But I'm at an age where it's really important to stretch, right? I'm, I'm at that age where, where you think it's not that important. A little bit older than me, you know you have to, right? A little bit younger, you think you never need to stretch and never will and make fun of the people that are stretching. I'm right in that sweet spot where, where I just want to play, but I know I should stretch, and so back to the heart wants what it wants, sometimes we can break that down by what do we truly want? Jesus wanted all of humanity to be saved and wanted to do God's will. That's why he followed through in the garden. It's the greater desire. The initial desire for me is I don't want to stretch. I just want to play. But the greater desire is I want to be able to play for a long time, which means I need to stretch. And I want to be able to pick up my kids tomorrow, which means I need to stretch. And I want to be able to, to be healthy and happy and enjoy lots of football all season long, so I need to stretch. So we say no to the primary desire, the first desire, which is or antithetical to the world. It says, do whatever you want. It says, no, what I want isn't necessarily what I want right now, but it's thinking long and thinking beyond that moment and trusting the spirit of truth says, look beyond this moment right here and trust that God will guide you in that. You know, Jesus helps us realize our greater desires and then he helps us capture them. Church, you can handle the truth. My challenge to you this week is try that exercise as best you can with somebody else this week. I wrote in my notes, take them to court. Not, don't sue anybody, but, but go to court together and say, okay, what is the truth? Let's wrestle with this together. I'm struggling with this. Can you help me find some examples in Jesus where he persevered so I can imitate him? So 
take, take each other to court this week. But again, don't sue anybody. But, but go, to, go to the courtroom and say, what is the truth? And let the truth come forward about who Jesus is, no matter what it is that you're struggling with. Even if you think, they're going to laugh at me. How could someone who's been a Christian this long struggle with this? Or how could, how, can I really share about this? Whatever it is, share it with somebody and go to God's word together. Go to the spirit of truth together. I want to end here with a quote and a reminder in this passage that um, what is in us is greater than what's in the world. The spirit of truth is awesome because it's, it's with God. The quote is this. It's by an Oxford professor by the name of Michael Green. And he said, in this, in this age that values freedom almost more than anything else, Jesus confronts us as the most liberated man who ever lived. Share one more time. In this age that values freedom above almost uh, more than anything else, Jesus confronts us as the most liberated man who ever lived. We can find true love, true freedom, true truth in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one final song.